thought it would be good this morning just to uh, kind of refresh ourselves a little bit around what we, why we're doing 1 Corinthians 3. We've had a break for Easter, and uh, we had a look at some of our values last week. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at some verses out of that this morning. But just to kind of remind you of why we are doing this. Um, from the very first time that anyone got up to speak about Jesus, it was clear from the very first moment that that happened that the message of the good news is for everyone, all right? And Peter became quite quickly the spokesperson for the early church, and after the Holy Spirit was poured out, the church began to grow rapidly, and a lot of people got saved in a remarkably short time. The message of the good news of Jesus spread throughout most of what was the known world in um, the, the early church's day. And one of the things that fulfilled this promise that the message really was for everyone is that the early church leaders wrote things down in letters which they sent to the churches to be read and to be discussed amongst the early church believers, all right? And they didn't send these letters to universities. They didn't send these letters to uh, the religious elite of the day. They were read and intended for ordinary men and women to read, understand, and speak about. And that has always been the heart of the gospel, that the heart of the gospel is for everyone, all of us, not for the religious elite, not necessarily just for scholars to pour over the original documents and to understand what they mean. And it is good that we do that. It's good that there are some people that have taken the time to understand the Scripture, what the words mean and were intended to mean, so that it can be passed down to all of us so that we can understand I say that because in this room, how many of us understand ancient Greek? Good. Well, it's good then that it was trans the Bible was translated by scholars into English so that you and I can read for ourselves and understand. Do you understand what I'm saying? So all that work, the scholarly work, is not in vain, but the message has always been intended for you and I, for ordinary men and women to learn, understand, digest, that the Holy Spirit can speak to us and we can understand what they were saying about God. And so that's why we are really studying this letter, so the message can get out, that we can understand it in our context, in our cultural context, and it can speak to us and build us up. And so just to remind you, the, this letter Paul has written to the church in Corinth. It's a lively church. It's a seaport where many cultures have come together. Uh, Corinth was largely a city of freed men. In other words, slaves, there were slaves that had won their freedom. They went to Corinth and they created businesses for themselves and they, they went there to seek their fortune. And the, we think that Corinth was probably the third biggest city in the ancient empire, largely made up of of Greek uh, and, and freed, freed people. That's why there wasn't a big synagogue. That's why there were lots of temples, because it was a multicultural place, people from all uh, cultures coming to seek their fortune, make their, their future, all right? That's the context of uh, the city of Corinth, and it's a full of uh, uh, challenge. It's full of excitement. It's a church also that has also exciting, it's young, it's full of growth, full of joy by the Holy Spirit, and it has problems. And it's, in that way, it's very similar to all the churches that are 
around in the world today. The Holy Spirit is moving. There's always growth. There's always wonderful things happening. And wherever the church is, unfortunately, there's also problems. <laughs> and Paul is helping us to understand that and to, to see how we can learn from what he writes to them. And so this letter is full of good things for us to think about, for us to enjoy, and for us to learn from. And so having said all that, we're going to read these verses this morning. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18 to verse 23. It says this, Let no one deceive himself if anyone amongst you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Paulus, or Cephas, Cephas is just the Aramaic word for Peter, it means Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Isn't this a wonderful portion? Absolutely beautiful, beautiful um, summation by Paul of what he's been doing in the first two chapters. He's gathering all the threads of his argument and he's drawing a preliminary conclusion for us here. And he's speaking into the root cause of the fighting and the strife in Corinth that we've been looking at in the first two chapters. Remember, this church is obsessed with wisdom, with Sophia, I told you it's largely a Greek-speaking uh, uh, group of people, and you know from history that Socrates and Plato were ancient Greeks who loved wisdom, and they're still in Paul's day are lovers of wisdom, Sophia, people that were very concerned with truth. And that was the worldly wisdom that Paul is speaking about, Sophia. And the church loved this kind of wisdom, this worldly wisdom, and it had led them into fighting and disunity. And it's a reminder to us as God's people in the 21st century that whenever we get fixated on worldly wisdom, on philosophy, and we insist that our favorite teacher and their perspective is more valid than someone else's, or they are more clever, more gifted, or more anointed, it always leads to division and disunity and nasty things in the church. Yes? And so... Paul's point is that that always leads to pride and disunity and that ultimately God uses everyone and anyone who wants to be used. We all get to play, all right? Every one of us gets to play in the kingdom of God. We all get to use our gifts. It's not just the religious elite. It's just not the intellectuals, the scholars. No, it's all of us. We all get to play. We are a kingdom of priests to serve our God. Now, you should say amen to that, all right? God's Spirit uses everyone. And it's true that if there are specially gifted people intellectually in the church, then they must be extremely careful not to philosophize and to destroy the church because that's what Paul says. That's why he starts with this rebuke. Do not be deceived. Do not deceive yourself. If you give yourself to philosophizing, you are not building the church, you are destroying the church. Because the, by the, the wisdom by which the church is built is not earthly wisdom, it's a completely different kind of wisdom altogether. God's ways are not our ways, says Paul. 
That's what he's been saying in the first two chapters. And he actually says in verse 17, you'll see later, that if you give yourself to that and you destroy God's church by philosophizing, God will destroy you. My, my, that's quite a, Paul doesn't mince his language. That's what it says. He says, don't give yourself to that because actually if you destroy God's church, he's going he's to get on your case. And it's not going to be good for you. And so what Paul is doing here is trying to bring this church back to the basic, what he calls the foolishness of the gospel, the foolishness of God, the way of the cross, the crucified Messiah, which is God's true wisdom revealed to us, says Paul. Remember, we looked at this. It's foolishness to the Greeks because they loved earthly wisdom. They loved philosophy. And it's it was an offense to Jewish people because they were looking for a sign, a Messiah, and Jesus wasn't quite the sign they were looking for. But for those that are being saved, it is the power of God for everyone who believes by faith. And that's what Paul is saying over and over again. I love his writing. He says the same thing so many different ways. And he brings us back to the, the central argument all the time. And here he is doing exactly that. And so I love what N.T. Wright says. He says that Paul is helping us to understand what godly, humble wisdom and faith is in, this, in these verses. And N.T. Wright says this, Humble faith is not a matter of knowing that you have got it all together. You haven't. It's rather a matter of knowing that somewhere it is all together and you are part of that. Isn't that beautiful? It's such a wonderful way of putting it. Yes, there is a place where all things are understood and make sense, and that place is where God is. We are not there yet, but we get to be part of the future that God has for us because we are in Christ. And on this earth right now, we don't get to know everything and all in, in every detail how everything works, but God does. And because we are in Christ, we are part of the wisdom that He has for all of us. That is such good news. Amen. And so there's this balance that we need to have in our life between humility and confidence. And it's a hard balance to navigate because our world wants to put us under two kind of pressures. The one pressure is this, that you cannot claim to know anything at all. All truth is relative. You Christians are so arrogant. How can you claim to know anything? All truths are equal. You can't say that yours is better than anyone else's. This is the rel relativist culture that we live in. All truths are equal. Christianity is one of many truths, and there's a pressure in our culture not to say, yep, we believe. All right? That's the one extreme. On the other extreme, there's a pressure to have everything neatly put in little boxes and to be able to explain everything. Have you ever felt that pressure? A lot of Christians feel that pressure. Don't, not comfortable with living with mystery. There's a mystery in God. Oh no, but if I pray these prayers like this, you will get healed. It's guaranteed. And yet we pray for people and some get healed and some don't, regardless of how we pray. Why? Because we don't heal anyone. God does. And when he moves, he heals. And this is the problem we have as Christians. We want to neat, have neatly little formulaic things that we can just say. We've got everything sorted. Life simply doesn't work like that. And we've got those two pressures, those two extremes. Don't claim you've got anything exclusive. And on the other hand, you've got to have everything together. And Paul says there's a way of 
true humility that is neither of those things. He says this incredible thing. Listen to his language. He says, you need to learn to be foolish in order to become wise. Verse 18. And then he also says this astonishing thing. All things are yours while recognizing at the same time that you do not belong to yourself. You belong to someone else. You belong to Jesus. How do we understand these amazing things that Paul is saying? Well, remember the context of this letter, chapter 3. Paul is summarizing his argument about the danger of what appears to be wisdom and boasting in human beings who say they know a whole lot of stuff. And that's what the Corinthian church has fallen headlong into. And he starts by saying that this, this wisdom, this Sophia, only belongs to this world, belongs to this present age, and it's not how God sees things at all. He reminds them of that. Remember chapter 2. And he says, yeah, now again in chapter 3, this wisdom is foolishness to God. God doesn't even think like this. He's got a completely different kind of wisdom altogether. And then he links that to the idea that they are boasting in people. Remember, I belong to Peter. I belong to Cephas. I belong to Paul. I belong to Bill Johnson. I belong to Nicky Gumbel. I belong to whoever your favorite preacher is. Paul says, no, 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 don't think like that. That only leads to division. That only leads to trouble. That only leads to disunity. And then he says, that's going to divide you and cause you heartache. And he's saying, you see, what Paul is really doing, he's making reference to, um, I mentioned already, in the, you know, Socrates and and all those guys were ancient philosophers. Well, in Paul's day, there were guys called the wisdom philosophers, lovers of wisdom. And each of them, you can go read about them. I don't have time now to, to speak about it. Go Google it for yourself. Sophists, sophists were wisdom teachers. And the wisdom teachers of Paul's day all had their little band of disciples. And they went around saying, this guy's better than this guy. And he understands this, and this other person doesn't understand that. And so there were these wisdom teachers in Paul's day that had their little band of disciples. And Paul is saying, don't force us to become like those guys. When you, when you divide between and say, I prefer Paulus, I prefer Paul. You're forcing us to say that we have our own little band of disciples, and actually we don't. We don't want to do that. There's only one who we serve, and his name is Jesus. He's the king. And all of us are just servants preaching a message pointing to Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And so these uh, sophists were the first secular atheists in the world. Because they were, trying to, they were trying to say to ancient Greeks, don't believe in the ancient gods anymore. All you need to do is believe in reason and logic and argument. And that's why rhetoric was so important. Having, winning the argument by skillful conversation. Right? That's what the sophists gave themselves to. So they went around, and you read in Acts 17, when Paul goes up to Athens, he, he reasons with the sophists of his day, and he puts his argument forward. Remember that? Acts 17. That's what he's doing. He's arguing in a philosophical way. They love to do that. And they all had their little band of disciples who went around arguing about what was true and what wasn't true. And so... They were the first secular atheists. They didn't, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They believed in logic. They be, their, their, their motto was, might is right. In other words, do whatever you need to do to get the job done. And their, their understanding of truth and morality was relative. Okay? Uh, I can think of people like that that live today. 
Can you? That's a very common way of living today. Now, it's all relative. You don't need any truth outside of yourself. You know, logically, you can kind of make your own conclusion, draw your own conclusion. Morality is, is relative. What's your truth is not necessarily my truth. How you want to behave, that's okay for you as long as you don't hurt anyone. That's, that's okay. It's all relative. And this is, the root of this was already in the first century, pre, pre, predated Jesus. And so I want to say the best example I can think of of people who live like this are lawyers. Isn't this true? They're sophists. You know, as long as you win the argument, the person can be guilty or not guilty, it doesn't matter. Morality doesn't come into it. What is most important? That the argument, the law, is what wins. And that's what Paul is saying. And so he's saying, don't bring that attitude into the church. Don't make us have our own band of disciples. We're not interested in that. We are interested in Jesus and proclaiming, him, uh, proclaiming who he is. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, that if that's not bad enough, should I calm down? Okay, yes, Helen's doing the <laughs> softly, softly. I'm very excited. I love, I love talking about this stuff. This is amazing stuff. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, all things belong to you. And he's, what he's saying to them is, don't sell yourself short. All those things belong to you anyway. Paul belongs to you. Apollos belongs to you. Bill Johnson belongs to you. Nicky Gumbel belongs to you. All things are yours. Don't just choose one. All things are yours. The whole world is yours to enjoy. That's what he's saying. He's saying an incredible thing. Well, how do we understand that? Well, we have to think like a Jewish person. Can't think like a Greek. The Greeks were, sorry, Greek people. The Greeks were, were fighting about, they were fighting about what was true. Because they were guarding their own little territory. What Paul is saying, you know, we're not thinking like that. We are thinking in a completely different way that God has for us. And here's what Paul is really, really saying. In the, later in the letter, we will see that Paul says, we are destined as God's people, all of us, to rule with him over a new heaven and a new earth. <sighs> You and I get to rule with God because we are in Christ over all of creation. If you've never heard that before, then I want to say to you, you have not heard the gospel. And I'm not, I'm not being arrogant. That is what the gospel says. The gospel says that you and I as believers get to rule over the new heavens and the new earth. That's why Paul can say, all of this is yours. Don't start fighting about these little things. All of this is yours to enjoy. If you are in Christ. And then he says, um, it's actually, uh, if you want a scriptural revelation, um, Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, which is actually an a, adapting a promise made to Israel in Exodus 19, verse 6. It says this, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to be him be glory and dominion and power forever and ever. That's, the, that's our destiny. Our destiny is to live and rule as the kings are, that God intended us to be over all of creation with Christ. Wow. So Paul says, don't, don't get distracted by things. All these things are yours anyway. And this new world that 
we are going to enjoy, we get to reign and rule with God. In Paul's day also, there were already pagan philosophers that were saying, you're already a king. All you need to do is get yourself together, master your life, find your true place in the world, and you're already a king. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of people today, isn't it? You're already a king. You know, just get your behavior in line and uh, live a moral life, and you can already be a ruler. Paul's saying, no, he's thinking completely differently. He's offering something that the pagan philosophers could never offer. He says, all things belong to you. In other words, the apostles, the church planters don't own the church. They're just servants through whom Christ was preached and through whom you believed, verse 6. And it's not just the apostles that belong to you, every one of them. Listen to what he's saying. Life belongs to you. Death belongs to you. The present belongs to you. The future belongs to you. Everything in the whole world belongs to you if you are in Christ. Well, what does he mean? Life belongs to you. I'm nearly 60 now, right? And I found this in my life, that people are afraid to live. So many people are afraid to live, to truly live life passionately. Why? Because they're afraid it might not work out like they think. And they're afraid that they might make a mistake. Paul's saying, don't do that. Life belongs to you. All the things that happen in your life, if you're a Christian, everything that happens to you, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, every single thing that happens in your life is part of God's design to bring you to maturity, to make you like Jesus so you can rule and reign, reign, reign with Him. It is. This is, the, this is the, the gospel in which we be, what we believe. He even says, death belongs to you. Now get your head around that. Death is yours. It belongs to you. What does Paul mean? Well, the wages of sin is death, according to Christian teaching. That's the greatest curse of all, is death. And Paul actually says, death is no longer a curse for you as a Christian. Death, where is your sting? It's no longer as a sting for those that believe by faith in Jesus, because when the curtain is drawn back on your earthly life, you step right into eternity with your Father in heaven. Death is yours. I said goodbye to my father a year ago, and he slipped quietly from this earth into eternity, and he knew Jesus. One degree of glory to another. You don't have to fear death. Death is yours. Life is yours. Death is yours. What else does it say? Paul says, this present age is yours. <laughs> in other words, everything that God allows in your life, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. And even where things are, seem to be going wrong, they're actually going right according to God's plan for your life. Now, I have a friend who, when I said that to him, he doesn't like that. He, says, no, he said, how can you say all things? The terrible things in my life that have happened, how can you say that all things work together for good? And I have to say, well, because God is sovereign, He's kind, He's always good towards me, and in His plan, even the bad things turn out for my good because He's making me more and more like Jesus. And underneath my life are the everlasting arms of a sovereign God who upholds me in every way. That's why we can sing, it's your breath in my lungs. That's why I give you praise. Come on. This is good news. And then he says the future, the present, the future. We don't have to worry about the future. In other words, Paul is saying, 
our salvation, the entire plan that God has for our lives was um, the plan of God the Father who so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he's saying here that when God reveals himself in Jesus of Nazareth, he's the same God who created the world. And by belonging to Jesus, every Christian inherits the world. Yes, Jesus said it, remember? Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Do you think Jesus was joking? He really meant it. He said, if you are in me, you are going to inherit the whole world. The whole universe is yours because you are in me, in Christ. Come, that's such good news. Not that I'm a megalomaniac, but I mean, it's wonderful that we get to rule and reign with him, isn't it? And uh, Paul puts it even strongly uh, more in 1 Corinthians 6. We'll see later in verse 2. He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Paul is reaffirming what Jesus says, that we're going to inherit the earth and we're going to rule and reign with him. And so we sang about it this morning and someone prayed us in the, in the prayer meeting before that we are already a resurrected person because we are in Christ. And because we are already resurrected people, because of the truth of what Jesus has, has done for us through his own resurrection, that is why we can say that we own the present and the future and everything belongs to us because we believe by faith. We are resi resurrected people. We're not going to die. We are, resi we are already resurrected in Christ. And so we can have this confident assurance that even though this present evil age continues, we don't really belong here. We belong in an age that is still to come. That's the tension of the now and the not yet. We, we don't belong here. This earth is temporal. It's our home. We belong in an age that is still to come, the age when Christ comes in power, in total power, and all things are put under his feet. We belong in that age, and we are still in the process of living here in this fallen, fallen world. And Paul says, remember that all things are yours. Remember the future that is coming, that is yours. Be assured of that. And so what he's really saying to them is that the Corinthians are, because they're fighting about these things, the Corinthians are really playing in a muddy, small little pool of water when the ocean is right next to them. They are drinking polluted water when the best wine and a fountain of crystal clear mountain water is theirs to enjoy. That's what he's saying. He's saying when you're squabbling about your favorite personality, your favorite preacher, or pagan wisdom teacher, whatever it is, why do that when the entire cosmos and everything that God has always intended from the beginning of time is yours to enjoy and explore? Why do that? All things are yours. I'm not angry. I'm happy. <laughs> all things are yours. Enjoy it. And I want to say to you people, all things are yours. You are in Christ. Enjoy your life. Enjoy the present. The past is gone. Enjoy the future. Enjoy your life. Live with confidence and grace because all things are yours. You're going to reign and rule with him one day. Don't get distracted by fighting, about stupid things. That's what Paul says over and over again. So there's both an encouragement and a rebuke in what he says to the Corinthian church, and we will be wise to take heed of what he's saying. And so that's why it's really important for us, I'm gonna, we're going to break bread shortly, that we get things in the right order. You see, Paul, you notice when you read the Scripture, Paul talks about Jesus as the Messiah and God the Father in the same breath. 
Have you noticed that? He does that all the time. And he's able to say at the same time that Jesus is the Messiah on God's side of the equation, on God's side of the picture. Over and over he says that. And on the other side is the whole of the world and the rest of the human race. And yet he's also able to say that Jesus is distinct from God who he calls our Father or the creator of all things. And so Paul doesn't need to write a whole explanation on the Trinity to show how that works philosophically. He's not interested in doing that. He doesn't need to do that. Rather, when you read the letters over and over and over again, in many places, he, he, he reminds us that we as Christians who live by faith, when we lift up our eyes from our often mundane, sometimes rather difficult lives, we do not see an unapproachable deity who's far removed from us, who's kind of off there in the cosmos somewhere. He does we don't see that. What we see is Jesus. We see a person, not some vague sort of cosmic force that we can't know about. We see the God of Israel. We see the one who's created all things, who's revealed himself completely, fully in the person of Jesus Christ to us. And we can know him and love him. And as we know and, lo and love him, we know what God is like. We know who our Father is. Clearly. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know exactly what God is like when you look at me. And he's made himself perfectly known to us in Jesus. Paul's point is stunningly simple. You don't have to know how everything works out in the world. You do not have to know. You simply have to believe, and especially on the evidence of the resurrection in particular, that it all works and that you are called to be part of that future kingdom. That's how we live. Don't get bent out of shape when you can't explain everything. God doesn't expect you to explain everything. There's some mystery that we have to be comfortable with as Christians. We have to be able to live with mystery, and faith is living with that mystery, still believing, holding on to who God is, is and who His promises are. And that's what Paul is trying to say to us, and what I'm trying to say to you this morning. If you believe in by faith, the sign is that God's Spirit, the Spirit of the Son of, of God, Jesus, starts to live inside of you, starts to transform you, and He makes you part of His temple. That's the biblical language. And what is the primary purpose of those that dwell in the temple? Is to worship and praise the God of creation. Come on. It's so exciting. And so that's why Paul says, the whole of human wisdom, Sophia, is turned on its head. And overturned by the foolishness of the gospel, which, which pre preaches a crucified Savior who takes upon himself the sin of the world. That's why Paul says, don't deceive yourself. It's such an easy thing to do. And often it's people who th think they are the least likely that are going to be deceived are very, are very close to being deceived in that very moment. Everything belongs to the Corinthians. Everything belongs to every Christian who believes by faith. But let's not let anything spoil the message of the cross in our lives and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Amen? Let's put to death those things. Let's not get distracted by wisdom, by philosophy. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that there were also, in the first century, in the first four centuries, there were Christians that were called Gnostics. Gnostics were super spiritual people. Gnostics had this idea that only certain people could truly know the truth. You had to have the divine light inside of you. And once you had the divine light inside of you, you had spiritual revelation that nobody else had. 
Gnostic Christians. The, I want to say the spirit of the American church in the last, sorry, Americans, last 200 years is largely Gnostic. Gnostic. We have special revelation that no one else has. We have, we have this understanding. Then you need to be initiated into our understanding. Once you're initiated into our understanding, then you'll get it. Then you will get it. But, you know, you can't get it unless you initiate it in. <laughs> I know I'm being a bit naughty, but that's, that's the spirit of much of the church. And that's the spirit of conspiracy theories. The whole world is lying to you. Whole world is lying to you. But actually, there are few that have seen. And the few that have seen, once you are initiated in, you'll begin to see all the web of lies that no one else can see, but we can see it. Don't be deceived, says Paul, not by Gnosticism, not by Sophia. The way of this world is not the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was hidden, the mystery of God that was hidden before the foundation of the world, says Paul, has now been revealed to you in Jesus Christ. And it's plain and it's simple and everyone can understand it. It's for everyone. It's not for the elect. It's not, it's not for the super spiritual. It's not for the philosopher. It's for ordinary men and women to know and understand and to live by. That is the gospel. <laughs> Do not be deceived. Live by grace. Live freely. Live with joy. This age is yours. The future is yours. Life is yours. Death is yours. Why? Because there's an age coming where you will rule and reign with Jesus over all of creation. Amen.